that I would quit Alright, I promise no more after this My evil twin Bad weather friend Someone keeps moving my Welcome to This My PA Podcast, the Brian Doherty episode. The bells are ringing. We'll be coming at you real quick. But first, we've got a couple voicemails because we've had some uh, controversial and interesting episodes lately. So first, uh, we've got a voicemail from a first-time caller and a new, brand new Patreon subscriber, Aaron Schindler. He agreed with me about um, Memo to Human Resources. So here's Aaron. Hey, Greg. Just listened to the Memo to Human Resources episode. Quite entertaining. Enjoyed it. Got to say, though, I think you're still being too soft on it. I don't even think it's a six. I would say that's like a 5.25. Uh, I have been a Vaseline Giants fan since 1990, so I do have – it's not like I'm a Fairweather fan. But if that song – if I didn't know that they might be Giants song, I just heard it by somebody else, I would probably skip 15 seconds into it. So, hey – Everyone can't be a 10. So, anyways, keep up the good work. Enjoy it. And then we've got thoughts from Abby Bash, friend of the pod, artist of the pod. Uh, She did not agree with me about Memo to Human Resources. Here's Abby. Hey, Greg. So, I'm sorry that I said that I'd kill you because you said an opinion that was wrong. But it was just, like, really poorly timed considering... It was only like really recently that I had actually like properly fallen in love with Memo to Human Resources because I think that song can really easily go under the radar because it's not like big or sherry or anything. And like you said in the podcast, um, like the music isn't super flashy or anything um, like a lot of them up giant songs are. But when I kind of like actually listen to the lyrics, it's like, I realised how vulnerable it is as a song, which is like, there might be giants are always like honest and they can be intense and like truthful and stuff like that and like things that make you feel a lot of emotion. But I feel I feel like it's really rare that they actually are really vulnerable. Uh, Flans especially is like vulnerable. It's like they're normally talking about as different people or like from a different narrative. But this song feels very like vulnerable and human. That just really, I think that's a very rare thing for them up giants, and that's why it stands out to me. Also, it's just a really good song, so screw you. And also, yeah, the spine is actually really good. So get better opinions. Love you. Bye. And we've got a voicemail once again from our friend Spencer regarding a couple of uh, items. Here's Spencer. Hello, all you They Might Be Giants fans. This is Spencer. I have finally called back. Um, oh, so many things to say, so little time. Um, real quick about the Someone Keeps Moving My Chair episode. Um, I, When I was taking saxophone lessons back in high school, my teacher taught me 
the way to learn how to do the two against three thing, the quarter notes and the triplets, um, and you can basically just say to yourself, two against three, two against three, and that uh, that's a really easy way to remember it. And then also he said, uh, if you want to learn three against four, um, you could say, eat your goddamn spinach, eat your goddamn spinach, uh, and that's three against four. Uh, let's see, I just listened to the first part of your next episode where you played Stilub, the Bullets song backwards, and uh, I had seen it going around, but I hadn't gotten a chance to listen to it yet, and I fucking love it. I love backwards talking, and uh, I've actually played around with that a lot. Um, and so I really, 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 really love that they did this, and they actually did it surprisingly well uh, when you hear it played backwards, forwards. Anyway, um, that is awesome. Also, I just want to say apologies to the you uh, Patreon folks. Uh, last night you had your call, and I couldn't make it. Um, I was really, really busy all day yesterday, and I'm sorry. But I hope to come back for the uh, next part. Anyway, talk to you guys later. Thank you for giving me such great content to binge. Bye. Thanks to Aaron, Abby, and Spencer for calling in. Everyone else, you can always leave us a message on my Google Voice number. It is 224-801-2930. That's free if you call from work. Actually, I think it's free from anywhere if you call from the internet. I think that's how it works. So leave us messages. Send me emails. This might be a pod at Gmail. Stuff like that. Tell me what you think when you agree, when you disagree. Uh, Additional facts about the songs that we may have missed. Stuff like that. Now, presenting former They Might Be Giants drummer Brian Doherty. Here we go. The bells are ringing the song, they're singing the sound, is bringing the people around. They hear the instructions, they follow directions, they travel great distances to the sound. The bells are ringing the song, they're singing the sound, is bringing the sound, they're singing the sound, is bringing the people around. They hear the instructions, they follow directions, they travel great distances to the sound. They are persuaded by the music of the bells. They're not responsible for anything they do. Welcome to This Might Be A Podcast, the song-by-song podcast about the greatest band of all time, They Might Be Giants. I am your host, Greg Simpson, and I have a very special guest here today, a former member of They Might Be Giants, Brian Doherty, and we are going to talk about a song that he played the drums on, The Bells Are Ringing, off of Factory Showroom. The bells are ringing and everyone's walking with things extended in a trance Parking their washing and letting the children they're dropping on businesses at hand A voice is telling them to act a different way They tilt their heads so they won't miss what it will say Effect. 
Hey, Brian. Thanks for being on. Hey, my pleasure, Greg. How are you? I'm great. I'm very excited, and we've uh, been talking a lot leading up to this, so there's there's been a lot of buildup, so I'm like all, all amped up to go. I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to talk to you. Yeah, me too. Me too. Thank you. So the, the one thing that um, I noticed when I was finding you, just looking you up on, you know, social media is an amazing thing. And, uh, it really is. You know, just being like, hey, are you the Brian Doherty? Yeah. And you're like, yep, that's me. Want to do a podcast? Okay. And then I started uh, just, you know, doing a little of that social media snooping. And I'm like, he's a music teacher now. Yes, indeed. I'm a music teacher. Yes. That's amazing. Yeah. Pretty, pretty cool, right? <laughs> so what grades do you teach? I well, uh, let's see. I am a I'm a general music teacher, and uh, right now I'm teaching grades three, four, five, six, and seven. Oh! And in the past, I've done everything from pre K to grade eight, pretty much. And but nice. the only thing I have not done, I've not taught high school yet. Me neither. So I've taught <laughs> like at the college level, you know, in pri- private schools and stuff. Yeah, but so. That's that's pretty much pr- pretty much what I, what I do. I really really enjoy it. I'm 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 glad I fell into it. Yeah, we are. Um, we're we're in the same boat. I'm currently at a uh, K to six school doing general music, and then I also do the beginning fifth and sixth grade band and a choir. Very very cool. Yeah, that's an interesting age range. Is that I mean I don't know about you know New York schools. Like, but is the building just three to, you said three to seven? Yeah. Um, no, that's the, this, it, the building itself is like sp- spread up into two separate academies, so to speak. So the, the, the age range is pre-K ah. to eight. And um, there is a gentleman that teaches pre-K to two. And then I, I take the upper grades and grades. Um, actually, my seventh grade is more like a drum, more like a drum line, which is really cool for me. It's right, right in my wheelhouse. And in, and the eighth grade, unfortunately, does not receive any music because they have all sorts of um, regents, uh, state regents, mm. exam requirements and stuff like that. So I, I don't see the eighth grade. Oh man. Yeah. Yikes! All that testing is yeah. just ridiculous. And I know, they, right? And they don't test them on music there, I'd imagine. They don't hear. I know, right? They No, it seems that they never... They'll, they'll, <laughs> they'll never test kids. Everybody talks about how important music is to education, but nobody will ever... Um, actually, it's yep. probably good that there's no testing in music, right? <laughs> who wants who wants music tests? Actually, every, every time a kid picks up an instrument, they're being assessed, right? Right, yeah. I mean, there are occasions where I'll do paper tests for like, you know, when we introduce the treble clef or the bass clef or whatever to the class, you know, stuff like that. But the paper tests are right. to a minimum, though I have started doing some reports yeah. with upper grades. Um, we're doing genre, a genre exploration report that it's the first, it's the first time I'm trying this unit with my sixth graders. So I'm going to have some kids writing uh, a, a reports for me about punk and disco and British invasion. And I'm oh, pretty excited great. to see what they... Uh, what they find and what they write. Yeah. I was just going to ask, are they doing all the research on their own and, you know, and just ch- checking out all the genres and listening to, for examples on YouTube and stuff? You know, the tough thing is, you know, it monitoring internet usage. Cause at that age, at sixth grade, um, I mean, stuff at school is, you know, there's sites that are blocked and stuff like that. So, um, I've been there. Even some of the sites I like to use, like I don't know if you've ever been to like 
allmusic.com that one yeah uh, i think we managed to get that one unblocked but i'm like this is not an adult website this is informational i know um but it's going to be, I mean, it would be cool if kids got so into the genre that they picked that they would, you know, listen at home. But, you know, there's some punk songs that are not really sixth grade appropriate. So, I'm, okay. you know, I'm kind of, uh, you know, that in the class, there's like two or three kids. We did like a lottery for who got to pick first. Country Western went first because this is rural Indiana. <laughs> All right. Okay. And, uh, and then we had musicals. We had folk. Folk went pretty quick. Um but yeah, so there's like three kids on each one, so they're kind of working together to gr- to gather information right now, and then they're nice. all going to write their own papers and maybe do posters. I don't know. It's the very first cool. time I've done this one, so pretty excited. Very, yeah. very cool. So cool. Uh, let's get into it because I kind of I was yep. so excited to talk about this uh, uh, music teacher stuff. I just skipped right over your uh, the whole introduction. We're here to mm-hmm. talk about they might be giants. So hey. uh, Brian here was. Yeah, it was the Giants' uh, second real-life human drummer after Jonathan Feinberg, J.D. Feinberg, um, who was on our episode 25.5. But Brian was the first drummer to record a full-length with the band, and uh, you were part of that pivotal era, 93-96, where the band fully shifted to a quartet and then a quintet, uh, you were on the albums, the amazing albums, John Henry and Factory Showroom, two big ones for me, as well as Severe Tire Damage, which I loved. Uh, you're on a, a lot of that. And then the Why Does the Sunshine and the Back to Skull EPs. Mm-hmm. And a few years after that, you worked with uh, John Linnell again, drumming on some of the state songs, which just had its 20th anniversary. Uh, and then after, uh, and then, well, after your tenure with TMBG, you worked with artists like X, uh, XTC, Ben Folds, Frank Black of the Pixies, who are all, you know, loves of mine. And uh, and as we mentioned, now you're a full-time music teacher. You know, we've yes, got a, a pretty similar-looking day, I'd imagine, yes, uh, day-to-day. Yeah. And uh, you also write your own music and record, still doing, um, like, session work, right, from your home studio or... Absolutely. ...in uh, studios around New York City, so... Uh, yeah, is that about is that, is that about cover it for a, a good intro? That about covers it. Okay, well let's play one of your post giants tracks. Uh, so you've teamed up with uh, Steve Sabat quite a bit, and here we've got some really recent tracks mixed and mastered in uh, just last December. Uh, and let's play the one called uh, "Fire in the Trash Can." which is about dysfunctional families and relationships, yeah? And you guys are pitching these songs uh, to uh, for licensing in TVs, movies, and stuff. Uh, so Steve Sabat is uh, also a music teacher in New Jersey. So let's go ahead and listen to Fire in the Trash Can. There's a fire in the trash can I think it's gonna burn There's a fire in the trash can
speaking about how our days are similar, um, uh, I'm sure your day starts early. My day, my school day starts at seven thirty. So <laughs> I'm up. I'm I'm up at mm. you know five 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 fifteen in my house and out the door at about six fifteen. Yeah. Yep. My the kids come to my room. Uh, my first class is at eight o'clock, and I have a half hour commute, so I'm up about five thirty or so as well. There you go. I'm I'm bringing this up because it that is not the rock and roll lifestyle that I led when I was with They Might Be Giants and sleeping till <laughs> no. when, till whenever I felt like getting up. This is the this is the total antithesis of that. So there you go. Right. But you're still making music all yes. day, so that's yes. that's why I lo- that's it's why indeed. I love it. it. It's so great. I'm and, very uh, very lucky. Make rock yeah. music. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and I love the variety too. Like I get to make music all day, and you know I'm you know trying to instill a love of music with kids during the day, and then making my adult rock music you know at night and on the weekends. Agreed, agreed. Hey, and while we're talking about that, I I'll just admit right here that uh, I approach a lot of my teaching practice in a very selfish way in that I'm I started out as a horrible guitar <laughs> guitar player and a horrible keyboard player and so every day that I get to play keyboards and guitar with kids is is a good day for me cuz I get a little better and better every day Heck yeah I uh yeah it's, uh, similar similar ways I've um taught a lot of they might be giant songs to kids uh, my first graders last year actually did a whole they Might Be Giants, uh, like a 20-minute They Might Be Giants program that included not just kids' songs, but we also did um, Mammal and Dr. Worm. Very nice. And uh, this year, I'm doing Mammal uh, with the countywide choirs doing an Earth Day program. And one of the songs we're doing is Mammal, and I'm accompanying it on piano. And uh, piano is one of, I feel, my weaker points as well. So I'm excited to... uh, you know, simplify a John Linnell part uh, to uh, rock it with some uh, kids on the piano. <laughs> that is the very, very cool, and uh, it's it's okay if I steal that idea. G- yeah, go for it, man! It was yeah. super fun. <laughs> we just did like a, a low key like daytime program. Like it wasn't the huge like holiday program at night. Everyone getting dressed up, blah blah blah. Right. Yeah. It was just during the day for the parents that could come, and then we did a Facebook Live video for uh, and put the video on the Facebook page for working parents. Very, very cool. Yeah. So I want to know how you got started drumming, like all the way back. Uh, well, were, was percussion your first instrument? Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, uh, I've always wanted to, I always wanted to be a drummer, and there was just something about the drums that, uh, I, I, you know, I guess when I was like four or five years old, I was bugging my parents for uh, drum set, even though I didn't really know what it was. I remember seeing, seeing drums set up <laughs> back in, back in, back in my day, they used to sell musical instruments at, at a lot of record stores when they sold LP records. And, mm. um, and I remember going into music stores and just, you know, there, there were other instruments set up for display as well, but I just seeing drum set up and it just, it, it just took me. And, um, Especially, I grew up in the I grew, I grew up in the New York City area. We had a great music store here on Forty Eighth Street called Manny's Music, and my dad uh, was mm. a um, my dad was an amateur singer and loved music. And just for fun, when we'd be strolling down a city street, we'd always stop on Forty Eighth Street and look into music stores. Just just walk up and down the aisle and speak to some sales reps and and um, 
you know that's I I just got I was very very taken with the drums I I can't I can't describe it anything other than that and then I remember specifically hearing hearing the like the kick drum come out of a out of our stereo mm. speaker uh, when I was about six or seven years old and I couldn't I. I couldn't identify what it was because, but I, I put my hand up to the speaker and I could feel the speaker moving, you know, like each with, with each strike yeah. of the kick drum. And, um, so I, I was just always taken and, and, um, I've, you, you know, ever, and then ever since I, I'm, I'm the youngest of four, four kids in the family. So my older brothers and sister were always listening to, you know, Simon and Garfunkel and the Beatles and the Beach Boys mm-hmm. and the Moody Blues and Crosby, Stills and Nash. So I always kind of keyed into what the drummer was doing in all these songs. So that's that's basically it. I you know before I even knew what the drums did in a band, nice. I kind of wanted to kind of wanted to be the drummer, you know, and um, that's kind of it. That's that's how I got yeah that's, yeah that's how I got started in the drumming thing down the drumming road. So so then did you play percussion in the school band then as well when you got old enough? Yeah, I did. You know what i i I did the whole school band route. You know from. I remember maybe in third in third grade they started offering limited instrumental music in the school system that where, where I grew up in New Jersey and I just I just took advantage of it and I think I was able yeah I was able to always play the drums I you know I chose the drums and and I was allowed I was allowed to play it and, and I'm saying I'm saying that because you know as a teacher a lot of kids want to play drums and percussion now and not every kid gets to gets gets the ch- gets his or her choice you know so um i did the whole I, you know i played percussion and mallet instruments and concert band stuff and orchestral yeah. stuff with that, timpani and that's you know. the key yeah the the mallet instruments i require that so i'm, I'm at two smaller schools so w- what i'm usually concerned about is having like lopsided instrumentation because mm-hmm. Well, at my one school, I have it's only a nine-piece band. Now, this is the beginning band, so okay. then next year they'll go on to junior high, to a bigger band, uh, combined schools. But so, like, I've got, um, let's see, at that school, I've got um, two flutes, one clarinet, uh, an alto sax, a trumpet, two baritones, and a percussionist. So, <laughs> I've got a, a, a handful of really high instruments and then uh, these couple of baritones who are really strong players and Very then nice. uh and and one percussionist so if, if i had that size of band and there were four four of them were percussionists that might be tricky <laughs> i know but, yeah so trombone i started in fifth grade and went all the way through that was my college scholarship instrument but i took up drums in eighth grade and took lessons uh outside of school and then played in rock band so i Very have nice. a love for all of the band instruments so i i suck at the flute uh <laughs> But I would I've, I've never turned away a drummer, but I require that they rent the full uh, the percussion kit, which from who, the store that we we do it from, it's a, a practice pad. We have snares at school, but they have a practice pad at home, but also a glockenspiel. And I require that they do glockenspiel. And usually what I'll do is like I'll assign them to practice all the odd number exercises on snare, all the evens on glock. Very cool. And then you know, the other kid would be the reverse of that so that, you know, they're, they're, 
practicing just as much glockenspiel as snare. That's a great way to f- to figure out if a kid really wants to play percussion because most kids want to go for the snare drum or the bass drum. Right. So uh, get him get him to play some some xylophone and some glockenspiel, and then you know that they're really in it for real. Yeah, they're digging it, and I just got a uh, a symbol to one of my old crashes. I just bought myself a new crash for home, and I said, you know, why not? I brought my old one to school and, uh, and teaching them how to do uh, sus- suspended cymbal rolls. So they're excited about that. Very cool. Nice. Very, very cool. Yeah. So uh, let's uh, let's jump into um, what the podcast is supposed to be about, but, you know, pretty, usually is, but sometimes isn't. They might be giants. Why don't you tell us the story of how, um, as your adult drumming life, how did that lead you to become the drummer on uh, They Might Be Giants' first two full band albums. Yeah. Um, well, the uh, I, I got to give you a little bit of context because in the music business, when you're at, at, at that sure. time, the years prior to meeting up with the Johns and playing with the Giants, I was a full-time freelance musician and band drummer in the New York City area. So... Um, Really, the only way that I got my my work and became known to songwriters and producers and artists was by word of mouth. And one band led me to another, mm-hmm. and one one session led me to another, and so on and so forth. So, um, yeah. I was I I was working just before TMBG. I I did some recording with an artist named Freedy Johnston, and I. Played on one of I played actually two of his a record and an EP. Um, the record was called "Can You" is is called "Can You Fly," and the EP I think was called "Lucky." And at that time, Freedy was. I mean, if you don't know Freedy's music, I I would recommend everybody to go out and and check his music out. He's one of the great American songwriters, and uh, and mm. Fr- Freedy was Freedy actually got. St- signed to Electra Records and became managed by Jamie Kitman, who at that time was managing They Might Be Giants. So that's basically ah. that's basically how I got into the Giants camp was by way of, you know, recording and recording and doing gigs around town with, with other bands and but but more specifically was that Freedy's, you know, star was rising, and and at that time he was he he was managed by the same manager as the Johns were managed. So, um, and then mm-hmm. you know, there, I guess I guess J D. Feinberg had just left, and and uh, and uh, I got a call one day from John Flansburg to come. So if I if I would asking me if I would come and and audition and I I went and auditioned for them and and you know a couple of weeks later I was I was rehearsing with them. Yeah, that's that's amazing. So when I when I talked to to Jonathan Feinberg, uh, the end of his run as They Might Be Giants drummer, which was pretty pretty short run, it <laughs> he had a little bit of. Um, regret to how that ended in that it almost ended for him on accident in a way because he got done with their tour it was so it was after Apollo 18 and he went on tour the what was the name of the tour it had a pretty funny name but they went uh, they did US and uh, Japan Mm -hmm. 
And then when they got home, he's like, oh, okay, I'll go do some other work. You know, he had another band he was playing with. Um, he wasn't sure really. I don't think he really knew his full status with They Might Be Giants. Uh, like, am I in the band or I'm a touring drummer? And then Flansburg, he said the Flansburg called him uh, like a few months later. And it's like, oh, we're playing this other tour. And he's like, oh, actually, I'm going to be in Europe with this act. I'm forgetting yeah. the name right now. And Flansburg is just like, oh, okay. And then that was it. He never heard from him again. <laughs> it's, you know, oh, no. it's, it's uh, well, I, it doesn't surprise me that that's, I, b- before you telling me it, I, 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 he had never heard, told me the story or I had never heard about it, but it doesn't surprise me that that's how it ended because it's such a hard juggling act to maintain your, you know, your, your spot in the freelance world. And at the same time, you know, be committed to one or two bands that are touring and recording. So it's like, you know, I, I could totally see how that could happen yeah. to them. Yeah. Yeah. You, one day you're just not available. You know, there's a conflict. And then instead of, instead of the, instead of the artist waiting for you or canceling a couple of dates, they're like, okay, that's not a problem. We'll get somebody else. So that's the way it works in the business. Unfortunately, yeah. you know, fortunately for me, it worked out, but unfortunately for John, you know, right. <laughs> Right, he couldn't do the tour, and then they called you, and uh, you blew him away, and uh, yeah. there you were. So <laughs> there, there you go. Yeah, cutthroat those cutthroat drummers. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, the problem problem is is that drummers always need gigs. <laughs> so yeah, so uh, you know, drummer drummers will hang out with each other at the at the at the NAM show or socially, and then all of a sudden, when, the, when there's a gig up, they forget about all their friendships. I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm, I'm just ribbing, <laughs> ribbing my fellow drummers. We're all, we're all good. Yeah. We're all brothers, you know. Yeah, I imagine it's tough, and uh, especially if, um, I mean, I'm not sure how you know the breakdown of like payment goes, but I'd imagine as not being one of the primary songwriters in the band for JD was like, okay, well, I gotta, you know, I'm not making as much as the Johns do. They're writing the songs, you know. Uh, they're getting the you know licensing fees from other stuff, blah blah blah. So when they when he gets back, you know, it's like I gotta keep working, you know. Can't Absolutely, just chill. So w- what was it like touring with uh, They Might Be Giants, and and what do you what do you miss about it? Touring with the Giants was a lot of fun. That's 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 the that's the um, that's the thing I you know the feeling I remember about you know those days of touring with the Giants were just fun days. Uh, we had a lot of laughs. Almost uh, there was there was an element of humor in almost everything and and every instance that we you know in at every gig at every rehearsal at at every sound check. So we just had a lot of fun. And um, specifically, touring was kind of like it was just really 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 good, really kind of easy. You know, um, in general, sometimes I describe yeah. touring to people as 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 almost if, as if it's like being being in the hospital with a concierge and you're just you know because there's a tour manager to kind of set up your day and uh, and there's uh, there's somebody driving the bus and then there's somebody taking care of your gear and then there's somebody at the at the venue to cook you food and catering and then there's somebody <laughs> serving serving you drinks and there's you know, so you're really taken care of. You're really looked after. So that's that's what I re, that's what I remember about the Giants, and of of course, I, I, that's one of the things that I miss about touring in general, but also working with the Giants was that life was good. You know, so that's that's what I want 
that's yeah, that's what I man. that's what I took and, away and, with touring, and and we played a lot of great music too, and, and a lot of great cities, and a lot of great bands on the bill as well. So that was a crucial era for the band, you know, making that switch to the full, the full, you know, not just the Johns getting some backup in there. I, I you know, Jonathan Feinberg, he, you know, was the first one to kind of test out the, and he said he was always pretty faithful to drumming like the drum machine patterns that they had done. And so he was mostly drumming um, old songs. He recorded on the uh, O Tannenbaum single, but that was the only yeah. thing he got to drum on. But So you were the one that was um, creating new drum parts for They Might Be Giants songs. Uh, so that yes. is just amazing. <laughs> it's got to be exciting. Uh, were you a fan of them before? That's... That's a great question. Um, I had, I owned the album Flood. It was in my collection. And you know what? And I own, what was, what's the mm-hmm. one before Flood? Uh, Lincoln. I, I can see the album cover right now in vinyl. Yeah, keep going before that. It was Lincoln. What's before Lincoln? The self-titled was their okay. debut. People call it the pink album. And then Lincoln, then Flood. Yeah. And then Apollo 18. And then John Henry. Right. I had the pink album and flood in my record collection. And um I listened to I I I I enjoy it. I I I you know, I I was kind of taken with with these guys that were from Brooklyn and Brooklyn was close to where I was. I was living in Jersey City, New Jersey. I'm a I'm a Jerseyite people if any, you know, shout out to my Jersey people. Um <laughs> Uh, Brooklyn, Williamsburg, Brooklyn was is just like across across the way fr- from from where I was, and I, I was just intrigued by these by these guys. They were great songwriters, and and uh, and then when Flood came out, I the second I heard Birdhouse in Your Soul, I I knew that the, that the song was going to be a hit, and that the band was you know something was going to happen with this band. But other than that, like I yeah. wasn't I. I I, I hadn't been to any of their shows and I wasn't really following them too much. I mean, they were just kind of, they, they were on my radar and I knew about them, but you know, I was also listening to at the same time. I remember another album at around the same time that I was listening to that I couldn't get off my turntable was John Hyatt's bring the family, which is one of my all time hmm. favorites. Um, and, uh, you know, so I was just listening to a whole bunch of different stuff all the time. So, I I would say yeah sure I was a fan of them but I wasn't like really dialed into their career and stuff so um and sure. uh and was there a follow up question to that I forgot well I forgot um where, where we yeah. were <laughs> no yeah no that, that that makes sense and I mean for you it was uh you know it was a job and but the fact that you were able to get hired on with a band that you were aware of at least of some of their catalog you know that is, works out pretty well. I I I distinctly remember. So speaking about this guy Freddie Johnston, there was shortly after I had recorded his uh, after Can You Fly was released, he went on r- working with other musicians and was doing some dates, more touring dates out of New York City and stuff. And and at this and and this was the time that he had been signed with Jamie Kitman and um, the Giants management and I remember looking in the paper and seeing that They Might Be Giants was playing at the Beacon Theater in New York City which is kind of a kind of a big gig and I, I thought wow this is you know that's 
I wonder if they're going to fill the place. And lo and behold, Freedy was one of the openers on the show, if if not the opener on the show. Mm. So, um, so uh, Freedy later reported back to me that like you know both shows at the Beacon Theater were like completely mobbed and sold out. And so right then I yeah. knew that 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 the band was going to be huge. So um, yeah, that's 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 really that's really it. They were they. I knew of them as like a really cool, very, very interesting band. And, but I didn't know other than knowing the manager, I didn't really know anybody who was in their camp. And, uh, so that's really about it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Then, so we're going to talk about the bells are ringing in depth, but so of course we, I love John Henry and that was, you know, at the time I got into them right before that, uh, between Apollo 18, and for John Henry, I was uh, 13 in 1994 when I first uh, heard you drumming with them. So that was like, I mean, I was a young drummer. I was a fresh fan to the band. It was like a, a big record for me. Factory Showroom, even more so. Um, so, but before we get to that song specifically, I saw a quote on the uh, TMBW wiki uh, that you left uh, the Giants not because of personal issues and that you got along with uh, the Johns. But that you had wanted more um, equal say, and this is kind of what I talked about with with Feinberg, how maybe you know, not being a bigger part of the songwriting or the business, you know, the fact that it was still you know the Johns band, w- would that be accurate there? That 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 was uh, your reason for for departing the band. Well, first let me let me tell ev- let me tell your listeners that. Um you know this image of being in a band like I, I i when i was 13 i thought that being in a band was like four or five people riding around in a van playing playing gigs i i you know playing playing shows i never thought of you know the business end of things and and the income streams right. and possibilities and who would get money and who wrote songs and who you know who just who who gets paid as a player and who gets who gets uh, royalties and so on and so forth but that's kind of the way the music business does work that there are bands where just think of any band where there's four or five members who've been in the you know who have forever been in the band there's usually one or two songwriters so there's those songwriters are the ones that usually end up making a bigger slice of the pie and right and rightfully so right but um so the the there there was never any um you know it was very clear it was always very clear to me that that they might be giants was really john linnell and john flansburg i i was never under the impression Mm -hmm. nor did never never was i once you know kind of told ever that i was part of I was more, uh, I was a bigger part of the band other than the drummer and they might be giants, you know? And, and that was, that was perfect Mm. for me. I mean, I, I knew that I was not one of the songwriters obviously. And, um, so to get to your answer as succinctly as possible, I think I left, I mean, in hindsight, I left the band because I just needed a life change. Any, any, Mm. anything that was going on with, Anything that was going on with me at the time had nothing to do with the Johns and how I felt and how I felt I was treated and so on and so forth. It was just, a, I needed a life change. And to be honest with you and your listeners, I mean, my personal life was in shambles and 
I kind of had mm. to just just rebuild and you know kind of detach myself from from the world of touring and to- touring with a band like the Giants and and uh, just kind of rebuild my 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 personal life, you know. So sure, that's that's basically it, you know. To it, and 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 to add to that, you know, I I will always be grateful for the um, for the opportunity to to have played with the Giants and you know to think that I'm still on their recordings and people like you, you know, l- listened to John Henry and Factory Showroom stuff. I mean, that, that I, I feel very proud of that. So and and they they're the ones who gave me that opportunity. So um, amazing records that you know in the fan communities are still talked about constantly yes and to give everybody an example because um you just asked about if i had felt um if i wasn't satisfied with not having a more equal say in the songwriting and everything i mean they they did bring me in for songwriting on uh, aka driver and that's a song that i mean they that I I am a song I am a you know credited songwriter uh, co-writer of that song with John and John and Tony Mimoni and oh. I'm almost certain that I could say that it, even though I contributed greatly to that song and I'm very proud of it that those guys didn't need me to write great songs but I, I would I I remember that. I remember at the time thinking that that was kind of just a a nice gesture for them to bring mm-hmm. us in Tony and I bring bring us into uh to this to the royalty songwriting royalty <laughs> world i mean they didn't have to do it and they did it so um i just wanted to point that out uh as i'm as i'm speaking about it i wanted everybody, everybody to know that that was a very nice thing for flans and linnell to do for 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 us you know yeah actually uh while you were talking i just flipped over to the wiki page on the aka driver and it does have a note in the trivia section uh that it was a collaboration between the Johns, you and Tony. And um, there's a quote here from you that says, uh, it came about while on stage in St. Louis as Flans implored the audience to come to our gig the next night in Chicago, uh, that Chicago was just a few days drive away. <laughs> that's, and that's, I believe it's more like five or that's six completely, hours. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's completely true. And, um, and I, you know, this just brings back so many great memories. And when I was telling you earlier in the in this interview about, you know, just remembering being, you know, having fun with these guys on the road. I mean, this is just one of the things like Flans and Linnell have the ability just to like um, think extemporary, think and act extemporaneously and just kind of go with it. And yeah. Flans was trying to yeah. tell. I mean, we, we were we were like playing a big festival where there were a lot of people and you know and i think and he was he was messing with the audience and trying to you know saying like come on to our show tomorrow it's it's only eight hours away and uh we kind of went into this uh you know kind of went into this improvisation jam uh, while flans was singing this riff you know it's just a few days drive away and nice. it was just hysterically funny at the time and and uh very good natured and 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 then like i don't know several weeks later when we were home me flans and tony went i remember we went into a a, a rehearsal studio just to kind of hash out like hey if this were really a song what would it sound like how would it start what would the bridge be like so (laughs) and then and then linnell came in a bit later but that's really the way it started and that was a very very cool thing for um for flans to do you know flans could have just taken that 
<laughs> you know, back home and taking that into the, sh- uh, you know, taking that into the studio with, with, with Linnell and demo that without us. So it was very, very cool. Nice. Yeah, that, that that's awesome. So um, well, we're going to talk a lot about how you were, in, in, you know, how the drum parts were created when we talk about uh, the bells are ringing. Um, but before we get to that, I just want to say, did, have you seen uh, the uh, They Might Be Giants play live since you left? Have you have you collaborated or played with them all again? Or would you, uh, if you could? Yeah, the short answer is absolutely. I mean, um, I would love to work with them again. And... Uh, it would be it would be an honor to to do something to do a project uh, with them a side project you know so Flans Linnell whatever you got man let's 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 do something again I know they have a great band now but uh you know yeah <laughs> well I was just thinking about how they're doing this uh, flood 30th anniversary tour I mean when the 30th anniversary for John Henry comes up. I mean, obviously, you know, Marty has been their drummer for a long time, and chances are he still will be. But when they start doing, if they did a reunion tour of an album that was a full band album, like what if, you know, they asked you to like sit in on some songs because you were the dude that, I mean, especially like AKA Driver or something, that seems like a really cool thing to do, you know, to, to, to the tip of the hat to you as uh, the drummer from that era, and maybe not, you know, do like a whole tour with them on John Henry, but to like do, New York stuff or something, you know, just as like a, a, yeah, a nod to you as being the drummer on that album. That would be awesome. Yeah, that would be, it would be, an, it would be great to play music with them again. It would be an honor if, if they, you know, considered me in something in, in a situation such as that. And, um, but when, when you, when you look at what these guys, the body of work that these guys have, I mean, they have their tentacles mm-hmm. in so much other stuff, you know, TV and movie music and television commercials and other, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. And Flans used to, when, when I, when I was closer with Flans, I mean, he, he, he had side projects and side bands and, and other interests outside of TMBG. So those are things, those are situations where I could see that. Uh, where I could see it maybe being more more likely that I would work with John and John again, you know, and those kind of um, right. Well, the kind of outlier, yeah. you know, things. I mean, be- before I forget about it, we were, I mentioned, yeah. So I mentioned you. So um, a few years after you left, you were played on a few songs on John Linnell's solo album, State Songs, and so that that must have been fun. And the one thing I wanted to make sure I asked because I was debating it with a couple fellow fans. Uh, that in in Maine, the big booms that happen throughout the chorus, I was always like, well, that's it's just a big concert bass drum, you know, maybe played with a harder mallet, but it's like listed places as like that. It's a cannon being fired. Can can you clear this up for us? You know what? I hate to disappoint. <laughs> I, I don't want to <laughs> disappoint your listeners, but I honestly cannot remember. I don't. I don't recall. <laughs> And I would just say to everybody at at this point, if I were if I were to venture a guess uh, or like try and you know cajole my memory, that was that's probably an electronic. So, you know, Linnell did a lot of that stuff post the drum tracks and uh. the rhythm tracks, and I I wouldn't doubt if he either 
played it himself or he or that was just triggered you know that that was just a synthesized uh digital creation yeah, like you a know? sample you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah so just on the because on the wiki and the wiki the the credits i've i've found credits that are wrong you know the the wiki is an incredible resource for fans and it's one of the best fan wikis i've ever seen for anything um, but it has you credited, and in the CD booklet, you're credited as drums. And then we've got, it says, Canon, Brian Toherty, did, so, but you definitely did not fire a cannon in the studio. Well, I can did tell you, yeah, I can tell you this, that I definitely did not fire a cannon. However, I can't deny, I, I can't deny that, that we didn't use something else, and, and, um... I would love if there's somebody I know two other people that would know. One would be the engineer Paul Angeli, and whom I have not spoken with in a while, and I he's a great dude. I haven't seen him in a long time. He might remember, and it would be John Linnell. He he would remember if it yeah. were. So if he mm-hmm. gave me the credit, it's possible that we did have some sort of concert bass drum that we rented, and we did strike it with a mallet, or there was something. Maybe it was even a big floor. Maybe it's just a regular bass drum that we that we uprighted for right. for this. And I, I right. but at the time I can't remember, so we're gonna have to leave it kind of open ended. I I will accept the credit for the cannon, but I cannot tell you how I played <laughs> the cannon because I simply don't remember. <laughs> Yeah, to my ears, it's like just the resonance on it, the the sustain on the boom, to me, sounds like a big wood shell drum. I mean, I've yeah, seen cannons fired sound. off during like the, yeah, I've, like I've seen, you know, the 1812 Overture performed by orchestras, like around the 4th of July, where they'll have like, you know, they're not actually shooting cannonballs, but where cannons are fired. I know what a cannon sounds like. Yeah. And to yeah. me, you know, they do make a big boom, but to my ear, it sounds like a concert bass drum. So would you consider uh, seeing them? Uh, so glad that you asked that because tonight we're, we're recording this on a Thursday night and tomorrow night I'm going to see John and John and they might be giants for the first time and I, I have not seen them in like 22 years. So oh, wow. this will be... And uh, yeah. I, re- I reached out to Flans and it, it's at a club here in New York which is a little... For, which is a little north of where I live. It's called Daryl's House. It's owned by Daryl Hall of yeah. Hall Notes, and it's a great little venue. Yeah. And um, I noticed a few weeks ago that the show was sold out, and I was like, "Oh darn it!" And then I said, "Why not? Why not just reach out to Flans and ask if they could, if he could put my wife and I on on, on the list?" And he got he immediately got back to me. So I am going to see the sh- their show tomorrow, which is part of the thirtieth anniversary 30 year anniversary of flood and uh, i'm going to see the band and i'm going to chat with the flans and linnell tomorrow night so that's so great in, uh, in less than 24 hours I'll, I'll be hanging out with the giants again yeah that makes me really happy to hear that's that's awesome it's very very cool i'm i'm, I'm excited so how was the transition from full-time rock and roller to music teacher did you go so then did you go back to school then to get a teaching uh teaching certification Yes, I did. So I'm, I'll I'll try and make this short for everybody, so we can get to the uh, we can get to the heart of the matter of the interview. But get I, to bells. I don't want yeah I don't want to bore your listeners. But yeah, basically, I fell into public school teaching in, in New York. There's a there was a fast track program called New York City Teaching Fellows, and 
I literally fell into the program on a lark. I applied and I became a teacher less than six months later. And they put me through grad school and all the certifications and everything. And I thought this was just going to be a very short term, you know, short term part of my life. And yeah, and, and, and instead I, I, I fell in love with teaching and, and, I I had no idea I would that this would be one of my callings, you know, is to be a to yeah. be to be a teacher in, in a pub in a in a public school. So I I've been I've been in teaching ever since I left They Might Be Giants, you know, which was I left them in ninety six. How long it was how twenty four years ago? Twenty uh, left them really in ninety seven. Wow. So 20, 23, yeah. 20, 24 years ago. I've been teaching ever since. Nice. I'm in year year 15 of teaching personally, yeah. Yeah, congratulations. Congratulations. High fives to us music teachers. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Virtual high fives. Yeah, I give any teacher out there, I give you a lot of props and even if even if you're a private teacher, I got I we're we're tipping our hat to you. So, um now I I'm Definitely. I'm, I'm in education for the for the for the long haul, I stayed. Uh, I earned my second master's degree through this particular program that I had mentioned, and then most recently, I earned my doctorate in education. Oh wow! Two masters. What were the focuses of the the masters? Uh, one one is from the Manhattan School of Music in music performance. I was a percussion major, and the second mm-hmm. one is in. Is in general it is in education, um, you know, just the science of teaching, you know, is a master's yeah. degree, mm-hmm. and then I uh, most recently four years ago I pursued my doctorate from Manhattanville College here in New York State in in educational leadership. But the way a doctoral program works is even though you're, you know, there's coursework and everything, a lot of it is research so my field of research was uh music education and and technology specifically so um i was deaf you know that's fantastic the whole the whole time i still still working within my parameters and my and my life's mission so um and then there you go here and here i am today while you were doing your doctorate you were you were teaching Absolutely. I was teaching and I'm wow. a busy, busy parent. And, uh, so yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. crazy. I was getting up at like, wow. I was getting up at like four, four o'clock in the morning to write and do some research and then, you know, and then go to work. Yeah. Wow. I can, that's, that's incredible. I'm married to a Spanish professor, so I know about, uh, <laughs> how hard people work to get their, their PhDs for sure. I can't imagine. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Cara was teaching, you know, she'd be teaching the, lower level Spanish courses this is at Indiana university. Um, so she would be teaching the, uh, undergrad Spanish classes and then working on her dissertation and stuff. So it's, uh, it's not so, so props to you, man. That's a full time yeah, job you. and, and getting a PhD. That's, uh, that's, that's nuts. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. We ready to get to the song at hand. Let's do it. Let's do this. Let's, okay, let's do it. So. Let's, let's take this song in. <laughs> So we're jumping right to uh, the last track on the second uh, proper studio album that you were on, Factory Showroom, and we're talking about The Bells Are Ringing. So I want to know, um, what did you think of the song when it was first presented by the Johns? And I want to know, if was it present, presented in the dial-a-song version or some sort of other version um when you first heard it the bells are ringing the song they're singing the sound is bringing the people around 
They hear the instructions, they follow directions, they travel great distances to the sound. The bells are ringing the song, they're singing the, the sound. is ringing the song, they're singing the sound. Is they hear the instructions, they follow directions, they travel great distances to the sound. They are persuaded by the music of the bells. They're not responsible for anything they do. The people know the way to go. The bells are ringing, they hear the sound. 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 The bells are ringing and everyone's walking with arms extended in a trance. Forgetting their watching, neglecting the children, they're dropping all businesses at hand. Our voice is telling them to act a different way. They tilt their heads so they won't miss what it will say. And when it's so, there's this to know. The bells are ringing, they hear the sound. Okay, so I just want you to know and your listeners to know that some of these memories are very, very faint. <laughs> sure, so, um, sure. I'm going to do my best. Ago. I'm going to do my best to... Um, I do remember the, these sessions, though, and um, I'm going to say, just so everybody knows, that the dial-a-song thing with, with John and John uh, was a completely separate, you know, animal, a uh, completely separate thing that these guys were working on, you know, at night, in the middle of the night. And... Um, I often did not check in with dial-a-song uh, activity, mm-hmm. so um, I often didn't know what was going on with songs over there, um, but I'm pretty sure that this one was presented to me by John Linnell, like he actually handed me, physically handed me like a cassette tape of a demo of this okay. song, and you know, usually usually yeah. there'd be demos, you know, Flans, Flans would demo the song at home, Linnell would demo songs at home, sometimes they demo songs together. And then present them, you know, uh, to the to Tony, me and Tony for, you know, for the following week, for instance, you know, so this would be your assignment. Go home and listen to this and check it out. So I'm pretty sure that that's the way it was presented to me. And what did I think of the song specifically? Like, well, I guess I wanted to ask me uh, about the drums first. The the drums. So in the well, at least in the dial a song version, maybe that's not what got to you on cassette. Was that one? Maybe it was something in between the dial-a-song and, you know, the album version, but it has kind of very minimal and obscure drums. Were there were there drums on the version that he gave you on cassette, and were you expected to, you know, replicate those and go from there, or did Linnell just say, you know, go nuts and come up with your own thing? That's a pretty good question. I, did, I, I went back, and right now, before this interview, I went back and listened to the dial-a-song version that, that you sent me, and I... I and and everybody should know, all of your listeners should know that the Johns were very, um, you know, open to new ideas as I presented them, and they were they were very encouraging, you know, of my playing, and is, is, you know, so I I kind of knew I. I I kind of knew the parameters, like I knew how far to step out of the box, so to speak. So, if you listen to the mm-hmm. Dial a Song version, it's pretty close. I mean, the pretty pretty close to what I play, other than you know, like a human drum fills and reacting, <laughs> you know, natural right. reactions to the song. Um, and and to add to that, I will say that Flans and Linnell are both very excellent 
drum programmers, as everyone knows. So yeah. they all have very good, you know, but they both have very specific ideas about what how the drums should behave in their band, you know. I'm, I'm not sure if they're still like that, but so it was always a pleasure to get a demo from them because it wasn't like, oh, here's my, you know, because I'm sure a lot of you out there who are musicians have experienced this when you get together with your band, but... Or, or, or an artist and someone presents a song but they have no idea about a rhythm arrangement and they have no concepts about how things should be orchestrated and what the bass should be doing and so on and so forth. The Johns always had a very specific idea in their mind that it was kind of my job that I had to kind of crystallize what it was that they mm-hmm. were hearing. So, sorry, it's a very long-winded yeah. way of answering that. No, that's great. That's great. People are going to love hearing that. It's, you know, it is, it is tough sometimes i've been in some bands where where i was the drummer i mean i'm in a band where i play guitar now in a band where i play drums a different band and um there are times where i've played with people who and i'm not bad-mouthing people who aren't you know schooled in their instrument people that are self-taught you know can be very good and and genius songwriters too uh and players but then sometimes it makes it harder for them to describe to a drummer what they're looking for. You know, if they just come in and they strum their guitar and there's not something recorded with a drum beat on it, you know, you're kind of, you know, you, you make your best attempt and they might be like, oh, well, that's not what I was thinking. And then you're like, well, what were you thinking? Well, I don't know. <laughs> One time I had someone tell me, well, could you make it wetter? And I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> That's it. like more symbols. I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> Greg, I'm, I'm I'm sure that there are many listeners that are listening right now that are musicians that are that have experienced exactly what you described. So it's one of the hardest things yeah. of being, you know, of not being the songwriter and come and coming into a band because you have to kind of um, you it's it's your job to uh, to to kind of get get inside their head and kind of figure out figure out what they're what they're hearing you know so i i totally get it right right let's talk about the song as a whole um with the drums as part of that too but uh what do you like about the bells are ringing uh musically so before we talk about lyrics just the arrangement the musical elements of the song overall what do you like about the song there is so much to like about this song and um uh, part of my prep for this interview was, you know, listening to this song. And first of all, one thing, <laughs> one thing I, one thing I can say about this song is that I can't get it out of my head now. <laughs> so, you know, once I start it, you know, once, once you start this, once you start with this song, forget it. It just keeps going, and that's the genius of John Linnell and John Flansburg. Um, there's um, what there, there's kind of a canon or a round. Uh, quality uh-huh. to this song that where the two vocal parts kind of play play off each other. It's almost like a. I mean, you're you're a music teacher. Music teachers often teach partner songs, and um, mm-hmm. this is almost uh, this is this is what uh, w- one of the elements of this of this song that are really fantastic. And there's also there's also I I, I really enjoy how how Linnell likes to use odd phrases this is like a this is like a two and a half measure phrase right um so it's like probably yeah two and a half measures would be like 10 a 10 a 10 beat phrase you know and it just keeps <laughs> it keeps cycling round and round like the bell like the bells in your head are cycling round and round so there's 
yeah, it's almost impossible to to separate to separate the music and the lyrics because I think the lyrics and, and like you said, not being able to get the song out of your head. I mean, that in itself is like, how could I not mention the lyrics? That's like what the, the you know listen, listening to something and everyone's listening to something and how something you hear can affect how you act. I mean, that it's just like a total package. This song. Yeah, this is this is an example. This is one of those. You know, one of those things where the music is t- completely in sync with the with the lyrics, and the music sounds like the lyrics, and the lyrics sound like the music. So, you know, think of there's like all all of the other songs that I listen to, uh, you know, on a daily basis do not have the you know do not have what I just described, and that's that's why the Giants are so amazing because they're. Because they can actually do stuff like this, yeah. And so the um, the bum 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 is is uh, credited to Amanda. I'm not sure if it's uh, Homie or Hami. Amanda Hami. Yeah, Homie. Uh, homie. Homie. Okay, H O M I. And um, she's a singer of English and Indian descent, and she was born in London, um, but then she moved to New York City. I mean, I imagine how. I don't know how. I don't know much about her or how the Johns found her or do, do you know, could you, could you fill us in on anything? Did you get to, to meet her or no? no, this, no, this is some, this is a part that I can definitely fill in if people are interested. So I definitely, I, I, yes, I was please. the one who recommended Amanda. Yeah. I was the one who recommended Amanda for this, for, for, really? uh, for this session to the, to the Johns. Amanda was at the time a friend of mine and, uh, we were working in different bands together, and we were, you know, we were, we were playing original music, and and we were also in in bands that were playing private parties and weddings and things of that nature. And I always knew Amanda wow. as a singer that could, you know, that as a singer that could, you know, her voice had a very great range. And this, you know, she's a singer that can almost, you know, do do anything. But part of Part of working on a song like this was that the singer also has to like kind of get what you know. You can't just be a good singer. Being a good singer and having a great vocal range and knowing different styles is really not going to may not may not bring you may not bring you to the end of it. They might be you know may may not get your vocal track <laughs> right. on the record. But Amanda kind of understood yeah. where this song was going, and I was not at the session, but I remember recommending Amanda for it, and I remember. Um, John uh, Flansburg particularly being very happy with how the session went like because I, I you know I, I saw him a few days after the session and he was just very very energetic and and and, and happy with with Amanda and what she did on the record and it wasn't until later like in the in the final mix stages that I actually heard the entire track yeah she sounds great on it and to end the record with her voice doing the bell sounds with her voice and you with that just huge snare drum sound. I mean, you two end the record. So tell me about that snare drum sound. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I want, 
all your listeners to what every every time they listen to that song to just imagine me going off into the sunset as I'm as I'm marching away <laughs> from they might be giants oh. <laughs> <laughs> into into my new teaching career. You could be like, and there he goes. <laughs> yeah, the marching snare just sending you off. So so was that that was a separate I mean a different snare, different track than like the drum set tracks yes 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 very very good yeah Uh, that that was definitely an overdub and we we were recording at a studio here in new york city that i think was called the power station at the time i don't know what it's called now it's called something like avatar or something like that but at, at that time they had a great selection of drums and accessories downstairs mm. or somewhere in the studio and um and i just did like a little shopping spree down there down the yeah. aisles and chose a great a, a great snare drum for this overdub i mean this was all planned out this was f- f- do you remember what it was oh uh, boy this what the, what the snare <laughs> drum was no i don't i don't for for the for us drummers out there i i have no idea yeah. what kind of snare drum that was but i mean i'd imagine it was a pretty deep Pretty deep and loose. I definitely tuning. think it was. Yep, I think it was deep. Yep, I think it was at least like a six and a half, or maybe even eight inch deep drum, and yeah. it was most definitely a wooden, a wooden shell drum. And there's definitely uh-huh. some, there's definitely some sort of tape, some duct tape, or some some sort of muffling on on that snare drum to give give the head kind of a thicker sound. And um, yeah. You know, yeah, I I, re, I remember recording that that overdub. That was, you know, one of the great one of the great moments of working with AMIP Giants is do you know do, doing stuff like this. I I was telling somebody recently that you know do working in the studio with these guys was always very easy and it became you know it was kind of effortless because it was so much fun. And for me. Um, that kind of meant like, oh, geez, like we're done. We're, we're done with today's work. Is, isn't there more for me to do? Isn't yeah. there, you know, so yeah. in this case, it was, in this case, it was a pleasure to come back and, and do a snare drum overdub over the, you know, over the final track of the song. Yeah. So very, very cool, man. It was, it was a lot of fun. And, and yeah. And I, I told you before, um, when we were chatting pre recording in our messages to each other that. This is in so I do theme medley uh, medleys for the theme of the show, spliced you know and crossfaded. They might be giant songs, and this one ends with you and Amanda and that big just final thwack of the snare drum and that reverb leading into me saying, "Welcome to the you know the show you know." So I I love that ending. So is that reverb added in post or were you in a giant like live room in the studio? No, that's a very good question. That was definitely added in post production. I I'm pretty sure that we just set the snare drum up, you know, outside the drum booth and uh like in like in a main room. So there was probably a a, a bit of natural, you know, uh room uh sound from the room, but all of that big reverb was was added in post production in the mix. Yeah, you know, you'd have to be in like a cathedral to get that kind of thing. That's I figured it was, but I had to to be sure. Yeah, no, that, that's a, that's a great question. And for those for those interested out there, I mean, a great a great book to read is Hal Blaine's book because he talks about recording uh-huh. those Simon and Garfunkel 
the Simon Garfunkel songs like The Boxer, where they actually got reverb by using an elevator shaft and so on, you know, like playing the snare yeah. drum over an elevator shaft, you know? So yeah. very, very cool <laughs> stuff for us, for us, for us tech geeks, for us recording guys, you know, and girls. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've I've moved my rig upstairs before. I'm in my my studio's in my basement, but we have an old house with a big uh, our our foyer or foyer, if you will, is uh it's this is a hundred twenty year old house, and we got this big grand staircase that's all wood, and there's a big curved wall. So the angles, like the right angles of the walls, meaning is at a, a minimum, and I recorded a cover of. God only knows that I arranged for 13 of my friends, and I should definitely send you a link to this because you mentioned the Beach Boys before. I love that. Uh, And yeah, so I had percussion. I was playing accordion on it, and my wife was playing French horn, and there's a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, I wrote out sheet music for it and everything, but we recorded it in the foyer, and uh, I had closer mics... um, not not real close, but like for each kind of section of instruments, we had strings and saxes. But then I had one at the top of the stairs too. And at the end, I didn't have to add any reverb. Um, I mean, I overdubbed the vocals and had to put reverb on that. But for the instrument tracks, no added reverb. I was very excited. Uh, it was a lot of setup. That's so but cool. I was very excited. I was yeah. able to get that natural reverb. Um, I recur- recorded that a church so cool. organ before too for a band that I produced. And, you know, we put something in the balcony way back, you know, a mic 50 you know, 50 foot cable or something longer, probably. So that's great. <laughs> that is yeah. cool. But that's so great. It's adding reverb, adding reverb, you know, nothing, nothing against that. That's uh, I love reverb. <laughs> uh, so let's get to the more about the, the lyrics. What, what do you make of the lyrics? Are you a lyric guy? Do you like dissecting lyrics? Uh, what do you think about the bells are ringing the lyrics? You know, I mean, uh, lyrics from, no, I, I love, I love lyrics. I, I'm, I'm totally into lyrics. Um, but I think specifically for this song, I was I didn't really get in touch with the lyrics until now and, and until I kind of had to give give the give the song a closer closer listen. So which was which is enjoyable because it's kind of another layer of the onion for me to me, me to peel away. Um, and uh, just overall, anytime Linnell presented a song, it was always like great to, you know, put this check it out for the first time when you got home or something because like his lyrics are very very unique let's say and i'm I'm sure we'd all agree yeah but um i don't know listening to these lyrics now is like this 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 is a song about mind control that's what i'm gonna say that's what i'm gonna weigh weigh in yeah these are you know Mm -hmm. yeah so there's the the girl that wants to do her own thing these are sheeple right yeah yes (laughs) yeah (laughs) And, yeah, she's got cotton in her ears, but everyone, you know, makes her comply. You know, they pull out her earplugs. And to yes. me, and this I, I noted to myself that this reminded me of, I don't know if you're a Devo fan at all, but yes, are you familiar with the song I, I, Freedom yeah. of Choice? Uh, no, I mean, I'm, I'm not that deep into their repertoire, but I, I love I love them. Yeah, so that's off their 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 third album. And the same, it's on the same album as, uh, as as Whip It and Freedom of Choice. The the great thing about that it is it is kind of about like um, you know we've got all these choices in our life and, and when it comes to everything you know we have all these choices, but the chorus goes from the first chorus uh, it's the freedom of choice is what you want, but by the last chorus it mutates to freedom from choice is what you want because <laughs> people uh, 
with too much, too many choices, they don't know what to do, and they just kind of follow along. And that really, I tie that into this song pretty, pretty greatly. Another fantastic song. Yeah, that's well. I I want to check that song out for sure. Um, a couple of things come to mind, which is that I mean, I'm sure you know, or you you could figure out, or anybody could figure out that John and John are very well read uh, musicians and highly intelligent and um, uh, and very very in touch with culture, cultural you know phenomena and you know society and I I I, I can. Remember, and I don't know the exact context, but there were more than a couple instances where Linnell would refer to, you know, it, like jokingly, you know, people as sheeple and 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 so on. It was so <laughs> it was um, not, but don't yeah. I hope people don't 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 take that the wrong way. It was it was it was a it was a it was always a, a fun, lighthearted moment and very good natured. But but um. Yeah, they might be Giants fans. Are are you know we're a, we're an odd breed, and we know we're usually you know they had mainstream success as a band, but they're they're really really hardcore fans like myself and people that have followed their career the whole time. We uh, take pride in liking weirder music that's not in the mainstream, and so yes, I think you know yeah. to hear yes, you Linnell guys call do. people sheeple you know yeah he we know he's not talking about us because we're you know we love his band why you know he's talking about all those normies that listen to whatever is on the radio now you know we we listen to they might be giants you know we uh listen to the good stuff (laughs) yeah yeah the the best fans ever tmbg fans yeah (laughs) yeah um yeah, I told you beforehand, this episode's actually going to air before Daryl Till's episode, but I mentioned to you, uh, Daryl Till, and um, he's out in England, ha- ha- how he um, got on Tony's, Tony Maomi's guest list and got to uh, meet you way back in the day. <laughs> very, very interesting story, yeah. Um, I, I I wish I could tell you that I remember meeting Daryl and and one what one day maybe well, sure, we'll yeah. maybe one day soon we'll meet again and I'll just say right now I, I you sent me a link to his cover and you, it's 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 amazing and I know we're going to talk about it soon in in this uh a little bit later on but um speaking of Tony's guest list this is um this goes back to our touring <laughs> you know you you asking me about touring cuz Tony 
Tony, uh, any city we'd go to, Tony knew, you know, 150 people, you know, and no joke. And, uh, you know, he would, he'd well, walk and down I feel main. People should also know that he was in the band, that he was in Pierre Ubu from uh, Cleveland, and they are just a crucial post-punk band that I, I would urge they might be Giants fans to check out. So he had already done a lot of touring and stuff right so he knew people everywhere he really did yeah he was um you know he's kind of the mayor of any town that we'd go to yeah he he knew (laughs) and he was just he was just that kind of guy he very very friendly and very likable very like a you know uh very conversational very interested in other people and what and what they had to say and what they were doing and he'd uh you know he's so Every, anytime we'd go back to a town, he'd have twenty more people, you know, than he than he <laughs> knew, you know, when we were there prior, and um, and so yeah, he used to have a guest list that would just keep going on and on and on, and I'm so 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 um, I it didn't it didn't phase me when Dar- when Daryl told you that he was on Tony's long guest list because Tony had a guest list, and we could go to the smallest town in the most remote place, and Tony would know, you know half the people in the audience. Yeah, it's <laughs> that's nuts. And you know, I actually, you know, I don't know if if you're in touch with them at all anymore, but I did find him on Facebook and did kind of the same thing that I did with you and this this was I think maybe last summer. I was like, "Are you from Peru, the guy from Peruubu and they might be giants and all this stuff?" And he's like, "Yeah." And uh I don't know if he, he might be one of those guys who's just not on Facebook a lot because I sent him a follow-up. And, you know, Facebook will show you, like, if the person's read the message. And I don't think he just yeah. ever saw it or got lost in the shuffle. But, man, if I could get him on, you know, I just love getting these stories from you guys that have been, you know, doing it for real in the band. And Yeah, I could, I could, I could, put, I could put you in touch with Tony. I'll get you in touch with Tony. Oh, ho. You are the best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No worries. Should we yeah, get you gotta, to... You definitely, you, def, you definitely have to get him on. Oh, yeah. That would be, that'd be the best. Daryl's Daryl's cover then. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Yeah, I think that's a good segue. We're talking about Daryl. Uh, he's going to be very... Uh, he'll be pleased this punch to hear that we, we brought him up. And uh, yeah, he had heard about Tony's guest list. And it's like, I thought it was so cool. And then I heard his guest list was always a mile long. And it's still cool, but... You know, so let's go ahead. I'm going to drop a clip in of Daryl Till, YouTube name Astral B. The bells are ringing the song, they're singing the sound, is bringing the people around. They hear the instructions, they follow directions, they travel great distances to the sound. The bells are ringing the song, they're singing the sound, is bringing the people around. They hear the instructions, they follow directions, they travel great distances to the sound. They are persuaded by the music of the bells They're not responsible for anything they do The people know the way to go The bells are ringing, they hear the sound 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 The 
bells are ringing and everyone's walking with arms extended in a trance Forgetting their washing, neglecting their children, they're dropping our businesses at hand A voice is telling them to act a different way They tilt their heads so they won't miss what it will say And when it's so, there's less to know He re-recorded this song and a bunch of others for me uh, that I found because the original video he recorded in 2008 and it was just like his camera pointed at the piano and he's a little more set up for recording now uh so he re-recorded it just for us pretty great huh yeah no is it very um one thing that really stood out to me about this this cover is uh very faithful i mean his actually his voice sounds you know resembles Linnell's voice pretty much and um and uh just like a yeah. faith, faithful cover. Thanks again, Daryl, uh, for re-recording that for us, going the extra distance. Let's move on to the next cover, which is actually uh, the first link for you on that that sheet. Danny O'Brien, yeah. uh, and it's, I believe, just him, multi-tracked. Yeah, you can you see him as it goes, adds frames. It shows him at the piano, uh, yep. and then the drum set, and then the bass and the guitar as they add in. The bells are ringing the song, they're singing the sound, is bringing the people round. They hear the instructions, they follow directions, they travel great distances to the sound. The bells are ringing the song, they're singing the, the sound, is bringing the, the people round. They hear the instructions, they follow directions, they travel great distances to the sound. They are persuaded by the music of the bells. They're not responsible for anything they do. The people I did check this one out too. This was a pleasure to check out. Um, and uh, his name is Danny. You said this is Danny. Danny. Danny O'Brien. Danny, is... you did a great, great job. Uh, good, good Irish lad. Um, <laughs> Dan- Danny did an amazing job. I love the visual. I, I I love the visual of this. And if you haven't, if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't seen the 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 YouTube of this. It, it it's great the um yeah the the the, the visual the split screen the the the, the um you know you could you could see him playing all the instruments and the the visuals spectacular so it's just an added bonus to his awesome cover of this song yeah you know that's i i find these these are fun and you know both of us you know we're multi-instrumentalists and i just never i don't know if i'm just too lazy like if i'm focused on the audio and I'm layering things, I was like, well, maybe I should have videoed that drum take or something. I never, I don't know, I never think to to go that extra you know, video, the visual aspect. What do you think of, um, he has some stuff written on the whiteboard in one of the, um, one of the, yeah. 
it wanted, so I I wonder if that was purposeful or or if it was just if it just happened to be there or the, or those out or or those song song uh you know song titles or something. I don't know. Yeah, and he's got hashtags by him, and then in the description on the YouTube page, he has hashtag freedom is slavery. Oh, okay, okay. Now I see that. Yeah. Yes, freedom is slavery. Okay. War is peace. Ignorance is strength. So these. I don't know these these phrases are kind of confusing to me, but the the freedom is slavery thing seems like maybe it could tie into his interpretation of the bells are ringing. So I'm not sure yes, if it's just some statement I, he's making or it's like this is what he feels about the song that people don't want freedom in actuality. I I don't know. What do you think? No, I think it. it think this definitely ties into your your Devo example that you were talking about earlier that. Um, yeah, so the, you know, you you think you're free, but you're really a slave, kind of thing. And this is may, possibly the S's were one interpretation of the lyrics of this song, you know. And yeah. doesn't he mm-hmm. looks looks like he has like Stalin or yeah. St- Stalin is <laughs> yeah at the beginning here yeah, and before right? Who else we got there? You know, is it? I don't know who who these other people are, but these people look like evil, you know, people of history. Or stern, you know, stern at the very least. Yeah, yes. I, just, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not. If it's not music history, I tend to forget things and dates and people. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe one day we'll find out who these people are from from Danny. <laughs> yeah, there needs to be like a Google image, but a reverse Google image search where I could like take a picture of that and it would tell me who they are. I don't think we have that technology. Nope. <laughs> that that would be a great idea. Let's go. Let's let's, so let's go to the let's next. Move on to the let's next go to the cover. next song. Yeah. So this uh, group, I guess, or artist uh, is. I think you'd pronounce it. Well, the YouTube channel is Snosh. I think S N O S H Snosh, and it says Lotro music. They might be giants. Bells are ringing. Now Lotro has got to be some sort of acronym for this video game and i don't know these pc games are really i haven't bought a console for forever either do you have any idea what l-o-t-r-o lotro means i i do not and uh, i'm kind of out of it when it comes to video games and stuff like that um i have no idea i'm sure somebody out there knows what what that means oh wait 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 wait. no idea it's Lord of the Rings Online is the oh, game. Okay. That didn't take okay. much googling. That was that was pretty easy there. I just said Lotro game and so then we got Lord of the Rings Online and it's lotro.com to to get the game, I guess. Uh and so this apparently there's some music making element in this and this guy has programmed it to play the bells are ringing which is insane. What what did you think? This is, you know what, the only thing, this is another great uh, cover, and um, I can just say that this looks like going into Duloc in Shrek, you know, when Shrek <laughs> and the donkey walk into, walk into Duloc, this is what, this is what this reminds me of. Yeah, cause the, because the guy playing a, like a lute. There's a guy playing like a lute, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't recognize him as a character from like the movies. You know, I'm no, I'm not like a Lord of the Rings super fan, but I didn't like identify it right away as like, oh, this is the Lord of the Rings. 
Um, but <laughs> it's pretty crazy how people come up with these ways to cover a song. I mean, I would never have thought of that. I know. I never would have thought of it. And, and to be honest with you, I am impressed that um, that this is such a wide variety of interpretations of this song. You know, the, the song that, you know, a song that sits last on, on an album, you know, it's fantastic seeing this. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's a fan favorite. And actually, it, it looks like I skipped a question and it's a fan favorite, but it's only been performed twice. I'm assuming you were both of those. I mean, what's the deal? Two times? I can't, to be honest with you, I cannot remember if I performed this or not. Um, I don't, I, if you, if, if I were to just, if you were to ask me, well, you, well, you did ask me, but if I, I don't think I ever, rem- I, I, I do not remember recording this song ever. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, everybody. I don't remember playing this song live ever. Right, right. Yeah. For, I mean, maybe, it you is know, one maybe, that fans like. I mean, it's crazy that. It seems like they could pull it off. I mean, I don't know if it's the vocal round. It seems like the two Johns could pull that off. I, and the female bum bum bums. I don't know. I mean, seems like, seems like they could do it. I think that they can. And the only thing that I can think of is it's it's possible that we you know because we would we would often workshop these demos at clubs. One one scenario was like the mercury lounge here here in new york city we do like three or four dates in a row and workshop all new songs and this could have been where we just played all new songs what you know even though there may have been parts missing and so on and so forth you know this could have been one of our live performances of it Mm, yeah so i mean there's potential that maybe it was i mean it says that it was well okay uh, on the wiki it says it was first played December 18th of 1997. So you would have already left the band. Yes. Which, hence, I'm not remembering. Yeah. I'm not remembering I didn't it. I so. date there. Yeah. Yeah. It says it was played, though it does say it was played at the Mercury Lounge, but it says December 18th, 1997. Uh, mm-hmm. And then in Un- 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 Connecticut, may not be saying that right. Uh, oh, yeah. In, two, in 2008. Uh, yeah. So a decade later, they played it again for a factory showroom wow. theme show. Oh, my huh. goodness. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Pretty good. Yeah. So then Pretty I guess cool. it must it must have been Dan Hickey then on that one, 97, and then it would have been right. Marty mm-hmm. on the 2008 one. Hmm. Interesting. That's right. Yep. 
Yeah. Okay. Very so cool. let's let's get to the next cover. This is uh, Ed Herbers on SoundCloud, SoundCloud.com/slash Herbers Music. It's <laughs> a chip tune. This is like a Pac-Man. You know, this is my my. I'm more like a Pac-Man guy, but yeah, it's to- totally like a game. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You know, electronic. Is that what chip is that what chip tunes are? So chip tune originally was people actually taking the guts, the chips out of Game Boys and Nintendos and Super Nintendos and harnessing the sound chips in them to make music. Now these days there are emulators and there are ways to do it digitally without actually having the physical hardware of an old video game console but but yeah this is a whole genre i mean this guy ed herbers has been on episodes before he's done um a lot of uh covers of they might be giants in this style there's another guy i'm blanking on the name but he did um yeah daryl and i the song that daryl and i talked about was um what how am i forgetting already what did we talk about uh we found this one guy who covered the entire flood album like that oh my goodness wow yeah People go crazy with it, and you know it. It seems really enjoyable, and I I actually still have my old Game Boy and Nintendo and Super Nintendo, and I'd love to do it like the real way and figure out how those guys do it because it just seems so fun. It gives you that nostalgia of like being in the arcade. Yeah, yeah. It's um. Now this is a a great a great another great cover. You know, this is definitely a different a different take on it, and um, I guess the fact that it's instrumental. And with no vocals, um, right? You know, uh, demonstrates how great the music is by itself. You know, without without the vocals, right? Right. Do you we know. have time for one more cover? Sure, we do. Go go ahead. All right. So this last one here on YouTube, uh, it's a live cover, and I've there are a lot of they might be giant songs that I've covered live, like at open mics and wherever else that you know never made it on any sort of album. So I like to find stuff like this, and here we got. Uh, Philip Jason 25 is the YouTube channel live cover of, of uh, the bells are ringing by they might be giants. And it says, so the, the description says Rick star and myself doing our cover of the bells. Um, it says taken with a digital camera that was right by the bongo player. <laughs> mm. Now, now I'm a, he's actually playing the congas, but yeah, I can forgive the non-percussionist who wrote that. But so we got yeah. a guy on acoustic guitar. We've got another guy just singing, and then we've got a guy on some percussion, some conga drums and stuff, uh, doing a live cover of a very difficult song, a song that they yeah. might be giants have only done twice <laughs> live. Yes. The bells. 
They're not responsible for anything they do. The people know the way to go. The bells are ringing, they hear the sound. 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 What do you think of that? This is yeah, it's it it is it is a difficult. Um, well, first of all, they do a great they do a great job. Um, very um, very adventurous, you know, to 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 do this live, and I got to give them a lot of credit. So yeah, there's there there is a percussion player, there's this guy playing guitar, and this other gentleman singing, and uh, you know they they. They do it nicely. It's more like a um, you know cafe version of it, you know, or yeah. something. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really nice job, and it's it's cool to see that people in all configuration, you know, different configurations and instrumentations have have taken this song on, right? Yeah, and and throughout the years, I mean, this was uploaded a decade ago. This was July two thousand nine, so it was it was you know long after the song came out. And, I mean, people, like, throughout... <laughs> this song has aged well. It continues to be a favorite. Um, I think people would love to see it live. It is definitely a fan favorite and, and a great closer to Factory Showroom. And a yes. great clo- close, like you said, a great close to your uh, your tenure with the band. It's just a fantastic yes. song. And you have to say, and there he goes. <laughs> Out on the old dusty trail. <laughs> <laughs> and off he goes. <laughs> So the final segment of our episodes is that uh, I make my guest and myself score the song on a scale of 1 to 10 with decimals, and this is within the They Might Be Giants pantheon. So not you're not scoring Bells Are Ringing against, like, um, The Boxer, for example, you know, or Cecilia, yes. or whatever else. So uh, against, like, you know, your, if your, your absolute favorite Giants song, I always put it up against She's an Angel and Dr. Worm. Those would be 10s for me. Um, where would you score this? Now, it's hard not to be biased. I mean, you recorded a fair amount of songs with them. Where would you score Bells Are Ringing amongst your favorite They Might Be Giant songs? First of all, do do I have to, if <laughs> once I give it a score, do I have to, do I have to support my claim or can I just get away with that or do I have to stack it up again do, do I have to decide what my favorite is and what my least favorite is no. or just you know no I, I mean it'd be nice to have a little you know evidence to support you know at least like 
why you, you know, I'd be like, this is why I gave it an eight. This is why I gave it a nine, whatever, you know, just a little something. I would say that this is, I'm going to give this an eight. An eight being one, one being not great and 10 and 10 being like the absolute favorite. I'm going to give this one an eight. I thought you were about to tell me a song that you thought was a one by They Might Be Giants. Oh, no, no, no. There are no <laughs> They Might Be Giants ones. But um, no, I think this is an eight. This is like, this is like, you know, way up there. And um, this is, this is a great Linnell song. And um, it's, it's infectious. I mean, what, what more? Mm-hmm. What more can I say? This this, this this is an eight. Now, you'd be putting me on the spot if you asked me what a nine and a ten were. And I well, really have about, to go back and look at, you How know. about this? How about this instead? Uh, what was your favorite song? So this song, you never played it live. We figured that out. But what was your favorite song of your tenure? Let's, let's say just John Henry and Factory Showroom songs. What was your favorite song to play on tour? Okay, I'm going to look... I need to look at the song lists of Sure. Um let's say John let's say John Henry Henry's songs. You can leave this bit in if you want. I mean the gears are turning. He's thinking. Yes. So I'll I'll tell you um hmm. <laughs> Tough choice. Yeah, I'll tell you um well, cuz they cuz they're all so much fun to play. Um Sandbox in Oh, well, I'll tell you this. I would th- I think a, a a one of the more well, a fan fa- well, one of my favorites because it really featured drums a lot was it is No One Knows My Plan. Ah. Great. Nice. Great song. Um and uh I really 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 like Why Must I Be Sad. And I mm. think I that's one of the drum tracks that uh, I'm not only pr- you know very proud of, but it's not just because I'm proud of the drum track. It's that's a that's a great song that could be one of my favorite Linnell songs. Mm, could be, mm-hmm. but yeah. So that that kind of gives it some context, and just it's just a, so hard looking looking at all. I mean, all all these songs are amazing. End of the tour is an amazing song. That was episode Subliminal. one of this podcast. Was end of the tour. End of the tour. Episode oh one. my goodness, <laughs> that's a great way to start. You know, yeah, um, I thought it was kind of yeah, funny so, too to start with a song called "The End of the Tour" being episode one. <laughs> yes, great. No, I would. I'm. I'm. I'm going to stick with my eight, and eight I would yeah. say is pretty good. My eight. Eight is very, very good. Definitely. Yeah, I think I'm. I'm thinking similarly, and I never score my songs, even though I. I know it's coming. I don't score it ahead of time. I wait till I have the conversation with my guest because oftentimes that affects how I'm going to score it. Usually makes it go higher, (laughs) you know, because my guests are the ones that pick the song. And I mean, I'm a super fan. I love all eras. And Factory Showroom was just a very important record for me. It came out um, when I was, let's see, I would have been a sophomore in high school. You know, I was I was firmly into the band, but also punk rock. And I think I really liked. I mean, your your drumming is just so solid, and having a live drummer now in this band uh, that I already loved was like just an added bonus. And Factory Showroom is just like, it's an epic album. I mean, they were stretching song lengths out longer than they ever had before. The arrangements, like, 
you know, S-E-X-X-Y, it's like orchestral, like yes. soulful strings, strings and stuff. Strings, yeah. horns, yeah. It's incredible. You know, I actually did a, a special episode with three violinists where we talked about uh, we talked about XTC versus Adamant. We talked about SEXXY. We talked about Exquisite Dead Guy. The, the album is just full of amazing arrangements and just incredible songs. So to score this one, I don't know. I think I'm going to go 8.2. I thought you weren't allowed decimals. Oh, oh you're allowed decimals. <laughs> decimals are acceptable. Would you like to change your score? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it as it at an even eight. And you know, this is a and um it 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 makes me happy that that you scored it similarly and and it's really great to to kind of dig deeper, you know, take a deeper dive into 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 not only their music but one song, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's been a blast doing this podcast. It's uh, song by song podcasts are starting to come up with different bands, and there were a couple that I'd I'd heard what to give that kind of gave me this idea. I said, man, if there's any band that deserves to break it down song by song, I mean, it's they might be giants. Not only do they have a million songs, but they have these eras: the duo era, the full band era, the modern era. You got two v- distinct but also cohesive songwriters. I mean, each song is different. Um, it's just, I mean, it's been a blast and having damn members on former members, I was just going to interrupt, I was just going to interrupt that, that, uh, description (laughs) of their songs and, and their work and say, damn, why did I ever leave this band? (laughs) Darn it. (laughs) Well, (laughs) you know, family man and music teacher, that's uh, that's a good life to leave and a good life to lead. I have a beautiful family. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm I I'm happy every day and I I we both are making rock music on the side too. Yes, indeed. You know, we got it all, baby. <laughs> yes, we do. Yes, we do. Speaking of which, your rock music uh outside of They Might Be Giants and and more modern uh stuff you've done, what would you like to plug or what would you like to play for the fine listeners? Oh boy. Um I I would like the listeners to hear the work that I've done on the upcoming Freedy Johnston album. Ooh. And uh, I've reunited with Freedy and Graham Maybe of They Might Be Giants, by the way. Yes. And uh, the three of us, uh, actually, the, when we've added a guitar player, uh, the great John Jorgensen, and the four of us uh, laid down some tracks a while ago, and they sh- two of them are out, I think, and available. Uh, now, one of them is called 20 Radios, which is a great song by Freedy. Yes, I got to preview it, so yeah. I got 20 radios at a significant discount. I know somebody close to the business. I set them up on the porch, all tuned different. And I sit there with my dog and I watch the cars Karen, tell us your story Because it speaks to this It's the only supplement 
ever hear twenty radios right around sunrise? If listeners are interested in hearing some of my original songs that um, that I've recorded throughout the years, one way that they can do it, one one way that you guys can do it, is by checking out a band called Treat and Release, and that is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. And that's really just me and a bunch of other musicians. Tony plays bass on a couple tracks, um, different guitar players here and there. And this was really my first, my first attempt at writing songs and singing and produ- you know, producing and yeah. you know, and and that was a while ago. I, I I started writing those songs quite quite a while ago. But I released the album in 2012. What should we play off of that album? Um, I would like for everyone to hear a clip, the first clip called I'll Keep the Rest. Take what you need. I'll keep the rest. Others who've heard that song sometimes liken it to a Steve Miller, you know, like a classic rock sound or a Steve Miller band kind of song, which 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 is a nice compliment. I mean, you talked about being raised on like that that just that amazing '60s rock, and there's definitely you know, I mean, if any band says that they're not influenced by the Beatles, they're full of crap. But I mean, there is like a strong love for that jangly poppy rock sound that just i mean it just it appealed to me immediately oh thank you very much i i appreciate that um well even though we are drummers there's we i i you, you know we still love our our melody and uh, you know a strong melody and i love i'm i'm a huge fan i want to record songs where there's where there's double leads and harmony harmony leads and where the and where the guitar is playing some counter melodies and so on yeah. so yeah. um um so I'm I'm a I'm a huge even though I'm a drummer I'm a huge fan of all the other instruments in in the rock band you know so oh, um yeah. I would love it uh, yeah I would love it if people can can check out the music that I've created and if you enjoy it um that's that's fantastic and would you like to uh, plug your website, your SoundCloud, or or social medias? Where do you want people to find you? I'll I'll tell you this: if you did a Google search, I I I am not recommending my blog because I very very rarely post on mm. my blog, and I I go through per, uh, periods where I'm jazzed about it, and I I'll post things of interest that 
that interests me. And then uh, months and months will go by. Um, you can always check that out if you want. There's, you know, sometimes I put up my favorite music or some things that I'm doing, and that's just do a Google search on me, Brian Darty drummer. Um, you'll you can find me on social media. If you did did a if you did a search on SoundCloud of Treat and Release, you can hear those songs that I mentioned earlier. If you did a SoundCloud, I'm sorry. If you did a Google search on Reverb Nation of Sabbat and Darty, you can check out some of our songs there and finally if you heck if you want to get in touch with me directly you know ask me some questions or you know you want me to play on one of your tracks go ahead just shoot me an email i'm at brian drum that's that's b-r-i-a-n-d-r-u-m at gmail.com and, oh man! Um, I'd love to hear. <laughs> I, I think you're yeah. gonna have so some uh, go takers on that officer on that offer. <laughs> go go for it! Go for it! Yeah, I'm. I'm not really. I don't really have a website, and I feel like uh, there's not really much for me to plug. I'm trying to think what. Up until recently, I was, uh, I was working at night. The, my night job was working at the Broadway show Waitress here in New York. So mm. up until up until this last Sunday. Uh, or shortly before that, because I, I was one of the five or six drummers that was playing the show. Um, you you had a good chance of seeing me on stage uh, at that show for the last three years or so. But there's really cool. nothing nothing else that I have come coming up that where you can you know buy, buy my music. Just just do a Google search. Check check out the songs that I wrote for Treat and Release. Check out the songs I'm doing with Steven Sabbat, and uh, I hope I hope you like them. Yeah, the off- and the offer's out to you if uh, if if down the road, you know, I'm going to be doing this podcast for a long time because there are so many songs. <laughs> uh, if you've got something coming out and you're like, hey, I want to come out and promote it and let's talk about another giant song too while we're at it, that is an open invitation to you, sir. Thank you. That would be great. Now, I'm definitely going to take you up on that on that offer for sure. This was this this was a lot of fun. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for coming on. That was very informative. I know all the fans are going to love it. And just getting to, you know, jaw with you about music ed stuff and, you know, the music nerd stuff that goes into songwriting and drumming and stuff. That was, it was a pleasure. So thank you. My pleasure. Absolutely. My pleasure again. All right. We'll see you later, Brian. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Greg. Breaking down
can find the podcast that twitter is at this might be a pod facebook.com slash this might be a podcast you can email me at this might be a pod at gmail you can leave me voicemails at 224-801-2930 you can find me on patreon patreon.com slash this might be a podcast if you want to get some merch in here bonus episodes and i think that'll do it Turn to face her One thousand eyes are staring They pull away her lip